G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. And my co-host in the studio is my gorgeous wife, Carol Ann Prater. How are you, honey? Good, honey. It's good to be with you this morning. <laughs> we just took a selfie before, and you can uh, connect with us at facebook.com forward slash vision radio. And we're asking the question there uh, a little bit about, you know, how did Jesus treat women in the Bible? Uh, you know, uh, we're, we're going to talk a bit about that today. Uh, what, what are your thoughts on how Jesus treated women? And in particular today, we're going to be looking at the focus of the story of the woman at the well. Uh, we're going to look at a creative way to look at this story from John's Gospel. It highlights Jesus' insights from his conversation with a woman who is often best remembered as the one who had five husbands. And there's lots of ways to explore this story. And our guest today has done that by writing this wonderful book, uh, pronounced The Silk Merchant of Sica. And Cindy Williams is the author, and uh, this book is exploring womanhood in the first century. She's joining us on the line today. How are you, Cindy? Hi, Matt. It's great to connect with you today. Thank you so much for joining us. Oh, um, thank you for having me on. It's a great pleasure. Wonderful. Now, I'm just curious to know uh, what led to your fascination with the woman at the well in John's Gospel? Uh, well, to I have to admit that I actually wasn't very fascinated with this Bible story at all. Uh, but when I finished my first book, this is my second book I've written, um, I was praying about what I should write. And um, I had a, a completely different idea in mind, but I, I just sort of, what popped into my mind was the story. And I thought, oh, that's um, not really a story I'm that interested in, but I'll take a look at it and see. And as I read it, uh, just to, to see where, why would it be a good story, something jumped out at me. And that was, why did um, she, she runs back to the, she meets Jesus, she runs back to the village and she tells them, um, you know, come and see this man who's told me everything I ever did. And they all run out to meet Jesus. And it's about two kilometres from the, or one or two kilometres from the village to this well. And I just thought, if she's the sort of person that I was, I always thought she was, what credibility would she have had for the men to um, have gone out to the well? And it really just and it just got me thinking about the story and that it was a bit more fascinating possibly than I had realised. Mm. <laughs> yeah, you know, um, Cindy, it's good to have you with us this morning and I have started reading your book, um, some chapters through, uh, but I haven't finished. But one thing I'm loving about it is it's such an intimate and poetic look into the life of Leah, who we know as... Um, the woman from the well in the Gospel of John, yeah. and and she's a Samaritan woman who was despised by the Jews uh, as the Samaritans were, and she was an outcast even to her own people. Uh, yeah. We know that, and and I want to just ha- have some discussion about this because she was drawing water from um, a community well, and during biblical times. Drawing water and chatting at the well was really a social high point of a woman's day. 
Yes. So can you, and, and we know that all us ladies love to get together and chat and have very long conversations <laughs> about yes, everything happening, but can you um, speak to that those tensions between the Samaritans and the Jews um, at that time? Absolutely. Um, it was a big thing. So um, Samaria is uh, in the middle of Israel, now where you would say the West Bank is, and uh, the Samaritans, the, there were Jewish people who lived up in the Galilee area, which is north of that. And when they wanted to come down to Jerusalem to worship, uh, the tensions were so bad that they would uh, choose to take an extra day to walk um, sort of down the east side just to avoid Samaria. Uh, it was very tense. And, uh, and there was a couple of reasons for that. Uh, the, the two reasons really is that the... Uh, the Jews thought that Samaritans were half-breeds. They were a mixed race. And for that reason, they weren't really, uh, you know, weren't real Jews. And so they were very sort of dismissive of them uh, from that point of view. And that goes back to uh, what happened in Kings. I think it was two Kings where uh, they, a lot of those people from that Israel area had been taken out of the land and they'd brought in five uh, different towns to settle that area and so they started intermarrying with those people and they brought in their gods as well so the Jews considered them this sort of not real because they uh, had these other gods that they had been worshipping over the last however many hundred years as well as Yahweh uh, who they did follow as well so that's one reason they despite the Jews despised the Samaritans um, the other the Samaritans on the other hand they despised the Jews because they said <laughs> well we've always been in the land mm-hmm. and you Jews you got taken out to Babylon for 70 years so you're the ones who left and we're the ones who are the true ones because we've been in the land the whole time so there was that argument and the second reason they hated each other was that each one thought that the other was worshipping on the wrong mountain. So the Jews mm. worshipped in Jerusalem, as we know, as we would follow as Christians following Jesus. But the Samaritans believed that Mount Gerizim uh, is the true mountain to worship on. Good to understand that uh, concept of the wrong mountain. I'm glad you, glad you explained that one for us. And, you know, I, I really love, I've heard this, I've heard many people preach on this story for uh, many times, and I love the fact that Jesus, a Jewish rabbi, spoke to a Samaritan woman in public, and it's actually the longest recorded conversation of Jesus, uh, and it was just not the done thing back then, was it? No, it wasn't the done thing. It's, it's quite quite an outrageous conversation, really, for those reasons that you said, Matt. So um, Jews don't like Samaritans. They don't speak to them generally. That was the case. Uh, men didn't speak to women in public or strange, you know, strangers. They, it wasn't the done thing either. And uh, particularly this woman being on her own, being spoken to. And then the third thing, rabbis certainly didn't speak to women. And um, I think that can be the case in some, uh, sometimes still today for certain, certain Jewish rabbis wouldn't speak to women. I had a friend uh, who experienced that only just a few years ago. So there's three good reasons why this conversation is quite outrageous. And I find it interesting to think, why did John choose to put this story, this, as you said, the longest conversation Jesus has with anyone in the Bible, 
I'm sure he had longer conversations, but John chose this one. Mm. And um, why did he put it in? And and why is it taking up almost all of chapter four? It's like a very big uh, section of John's gospel. I heard this saying a while back that uh, Jesus loved the last, the least, and the lost. And uh, it just came to me as you were just talking then, because, you know, really, she's a, she's a Samaritan, so, you know, she's a, she's a woman, you know, and mm. she's a, a, a woman of ill repute, you know, according to the Bible, you know. So mm. she, she really ticked all the boxes of who not to talk to in, societies, in the society of the day, yet Jesus yes. doesn't care about that because he just loves people, doesn't he? That's right. He loves. I think he. I think he quite delighted in um, shaking up everyone's <laughs> everyone's ideas. Yeah, come on. Of what was right and wrong, um, just to make a point. And um, I find it interesting at the beginning of that John's Gospel when you read that story. The first line says Jesus was down in Judea, and he says now he had to go through Samaria. And I was leading um, a women's Bible study the other day about this. And I said, why is the word had to? Why did he have to? And uh, because, you know, he didn't have to at all. So our my assumption is that he was being led by the Holy Spirit, that um, he knew that he had this appointment with this woman, and that is why he had to go through Samaria, which was not your usual. It's the fastest route, but I don't think he was particularly in a hurry because he stopped for two days once he met this woman. <laughs> So, yeah, he does, um, he had to go through, and I really feel that he, you know, he had that meeting in mind with that woman. Um, But I think that the story is is so much deeper than just the fact that she was uh, a woman and a Samaritan. What I find really exciting is the fact that really you could think of her as one of the first evangelists for Jesus in the Bible. Um, she she is one of the first to run back and tell other people about Jesus. She doesn't say Jesus. She says, could he be the Messiah? And um, she's a Samaritan woman, so she's not a Jew. She's a woman, and yet she is um, one of those one of those first evangelists. And I think that's part of the message too. That's which is to me quite exciting that uh, anyone can tell anyone about Jesus, and often it'll be the least the people that you least expect or least think are qualified, as it were, to do it. Yes, that's. I love that, Cindy, because it's that God values us enough to actively seek intimacy and relationship with us no matter um, who we are, no matter where we've come from, no matter what our circumstances, that he wants us to be cared for and loved um, and and seen and valued. And I, I think that's one reason I particularly love your book um, and and the story um, that we see in the Gospels of John. But in, in light of the, the world that we live in now, just um, how, how is how is the book apl- applicable? Um, your book, which is gorgeous, which I love. How is it, how is it applicable to women today? Uh, I what I found into uh, what I love to do, and and particularly with historical um, novels or this one, is to help people realise that uh, we all have the same worries, concerns, issues as people 2,000 years ago or 3,000 or 4,000 years ago. Um, Human nature really doesn't change and um, I love to bring that 
to life for people to think, well, women, yes, they had a different cultural, some different cultural issues to us women living in Australia. But uh, but generally our concerns are, are similar. We we want security. We we want love. We um, you know we want to feel that we're honoured or have some sort of worth. And I think it's just that nowadays we might get that perhaps more from well maybe from career or from you know the friendships we have uh but and back then mostly it was from marriage from marriage and children that was her sense that's where women really got their sense of self-worth but uh this this woman also uh in my book <laughs> i imagined her that she also was uh, concerned with the whole financial stuff as well. She needed that security. Um, you can imagine a woman who's had one husband and something happens to him and then there's another one and something's obviously happened to him and then there's another one. Um, she would have felt insecure in between those husbands and so I sort of explored a little bit of what would she have done about that as well um, in those circumstances. Well, we and uh, we've got uh, Shelby. How you doing, buddy? Uh, yeah, good, Matt. Hello, uh, um, uh, uh, Carol. How are you going? Really well. How are you? Yeah, very good. Hey, mate, I just love it. I love the way your man is uh, just using you ladies. Um, and I mm-hmm. loved that little bit where you said um, um, this, uh, the lady at the world was probably the first lady evangelist in the world. I love that bit. Mm. <laughs> but anyway, look, um, I used the lady of the world to witness on the weekend to a, uh, a, a gentleman that I met. I met him by accident. Um, we were both parking our push bikes, and he said I could have his place because it was a safer place to park the bike. And I thought, okay. And then along came a youth minister, um, Baram, um, with his little band of youth um, with loud music singing along. And we finished up both talking to this gentleman. And he'd been excommunicated from his church. Um, and um, um, we were talking to him with the same love as Jesus. We're trying to not be like human beings and be like Jesus, both um, the youth pastor and myself. And we said, well, we wouldn't excommunicate you. We're happy to talk to you, um, you know, just because he admitted he was an open homosexual. And we said, well, mate, you know, there's a chance to save you here. I love the story of um, uh, James Parker. Um, after uh, a couple hundred male partners, he was brought up in this environment anyway, and then he's converted uh, back to uh, Christ and uh, the Holy Spirit and happily married after 10 years with an eight-year-old daughter. And he's, you know, I think a couple of things he says, he's no more suicidal and he's the happiest he's ever been in his life because he has uh, Jesus in his life. And so I just think that um, the lady of the world, and, and the gentleman understood the lady of the world story because he had been in, 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 in a Christian church at one time. Um, but we hope that we can get him back on path. And Wonderful stuff. Good on you. Hey, Cindy, what are your thoughts on that? Oh, that's just such a lovely story, um, you know, of witness and showing Jesus, Jesus' love to everyone because you're right, Shelby, you know, Jesus did show, he showed his love to everyone and um, it's fantastic that you've done that. And, um, yes, in this story, the woman at the well, he he makes a point of showing his love to um, a, a woman and a, a certain race and culture that generally the other pe- Jewish people were considered not worth 
speaking to or um, or even associating with. So, yeah, it's exactly appropriate. Any more thoughts on that, Shelby? Oh, yeah, mate. Look, um, thank you for that, uh, uh, Cindy. Oh, Cindy, and the, um, the name of your book, Silk Merchant of what? Sycar. So Sycar is um, actually the village. If you um, In the little story in John 4, um, it, it names the village, and this is the name of the village, Sycar, spelled S-Y-C-H-A-R. And um, just before we came on air, we Matt and I were discussing how do you pronounce that word, and uh, so I've decided it's pronounced Saikar. Um, other people might have different pronunciations, but uh, <laughs> but uh, that's how I've chosen to pronounce it. And uh, I hope it's close enough to, to how they actually did pronounce it. Um, nowadays, it's actually a suburb of uh, a big city called Nablus in the West Bank. And they've ch- the name is now Askar, A-S-K-A-R. But archaeologists and biblical uh, theologians know that 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 was where the village of Sychar was, and it's, they've just changed it to Askar now. Wow. Okay. Thank you very much. Hey, and Matt, I've got to say one last thing. I love uh, what you bring to the uh, Radio Airs, Christian Radio Airs, especially your talk with Martin Isles. All that information, the information that you're bringing right now, uh, it's just so beautiful. It's just such a blessing to us. Thank you very much. Good on you, Shelby. Thanks for your call. Thanks, Shelby. Bye. And uh, we've got... Uh, Shelby, how you doing, buddy? Uh, yeah, good, Matt. Hello, uh, um, uh, uh, Carol. How are you going? Really well. How are you? Yeah, very good. Hey, mate, I just love it. I love the way your man is uh, just using you ladies. Um, and I mm-hmm. love that little bit where you said um, um, just, uh, the lady at the world was probably the first lady evangelist in the world. I love that bit. Mm. <laughs> But anyway, look, um, I used the Lady of the World to witness on the weekend to a, uh, a, a gentleman that I met. I met him by accident. Um, we were both parking our push bikes, and he said I could have his place because it was a safer place to park the bike. And I thought, okay. And then along came a youth minister, um, Baram, um, with his little band of youth um, with loud music singing along. And <laughs> we finished up both talking to this gentleman. And he'd been excommunicated from his church. Um, and um, um, we were talking to him with the same love as Jesus. We're trying to not be like human beings and be like Jesus, both um, the youth pastor and myself. And we said, well, we wouldn't excommunicate you. We're happy to talk to you, um, you know, just because he admitted he was an open homosexual. And we said, well, mate, you know, there's a chance to save you here. I love the story of um, uh, James Parker. Um, after and what, a couple hundred male partners, he was brought up in this environment anyway, and, and then he's converted uh, back to uh, Christ and uh, the Holy Spirit, and happily married after ten years with an eight-year-old daughter. And he's, you know, I think a couple of things he says: he's no more suicidal, and he's the happiest he's ever been in his life because he has uh, Jesus in his life. And so. I just think that um, the lady of the world, and, and the gentleman understood the lady of the world story because he had been in, 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 in a Christian church at one time. Um, but we hope that we can get him back on part. And <laughs> Wonderful stuff. Get him back on part. Good on you. Hey, Cindy, what are your thoughts on that? Oh, that's just such a lovely story, um, you know, of witness and showing Jesus, Jesus' love to everyone because you're right, Shelby, you know, Jesus did show... He showed his love to everyone, and um, it's fantastic that you've done that. And um, yes, in this story, the woman at the well, he he makes a point of showing his love to 
um, a, a woman and a, a certain race and culture that generally the other pe- Jewish people were considered not worth speaking to or um, or even associating with. So, yeah, it's exactly appropriate. Any more thoughts on that, Shelby? Oh, yeah, mate. Look, um, thank you for that. Uh, uh, Cindy. Oh, Cindy, and, uh, yeah, the name in the book, Silk Merchant of what? Sikar. So Saika is um, actually the village. If you um, in the little story in John four, um, it, it, it names the village, and this is the name of the village. Saika, spelled S Y C H A R. And um, just before we came on air, we Matt and I were discussing how do you pronounce that word, and uh, so I've decided it's pronounced Saika. Um, other people might have different pronunciations, but uh, <laughs> but uh, that's how I've chosen to pronounce it, and uh, I hope it's close enough to, to how they actually did pronounce it. Um, nowadays, it's actually a suburb of uh, a big city called Nablus in the West Bank, and ch- the name is now Aska, A-S-K-A-R, but archaeologists and biblical uh, theologians know that, that that was where the village of Sychar was, and it's, they've just changed it to Aska now. Wow. Okay. Thank you very much. Hey, and Matt, I've got to say one last thing. I love... Uh, what you bring to the uh, Radio Airs, Christian Radio Airs, especially your talk with Martin Isles, all that information, the information that you're bringing right now, uh, it's just so beautiful. It's just such a blessing to us. Thank you very much. Good on you, Shelby. Thanks for your call. Thanks, Shelby. Bye. And uh, we've got Mary on the line. How are you, Mary? Are you there? Okay. We might. Is that is that Eris there, is it? Yes, Eris. Eris, how are you, buddy? Good things, Matt, and hello, Cindy. I'd love your the sound of your book sound very interesting. Um, and what's the question? Um, we're looking at how did treat women? Jesus treat women? How did he Jesus really, treat women? Yeah, he really is really compassionate towards women. He looked past what they were and looked at their soul. And good thoughts, Cindy. What are your thoughts on that? Oh yes, he's um, you know he was probably one of the first women's women's livers around. I think he he certainly um, he certainly treated women equally, and it's fascinating you know that he had a lot of women supporters, women who were funding his um, the time that he he ministered all around for those three and a half years around um, Israel, and uh, I think from what I've read is that he was really trying to bring back uh, what how women were originally treated and perhaps over the uh, thousands of years of the, the Jews had become like put more and more laws and rules in. and I think originally if you read things like Proverbs 31 that that woman the woman in Proverbs 31 she was out buying fields and um, you know trading and doing all sorts of things and uh, I think I, I sometimes wonder whether by the time it got to the year 20 AD, where this book is set, uh, that there were a few more rules that actually probably weren't quite matching up with what the original God had intended. <laughs> mm. Very good. Hey, Eris, thanks so much for your call. God bless. Very good speaking. Yes, thank God. And if you'd like to call through and join the conversation, phone lines are open on 1-800-316-316. And we've got uh, Mary from Victoria. How are you, Mary? Oh, good, thank you. How can we help? 
Um, I just want to know if um, your guest has sort of thought about the parallels between the woman at the well and when the men dragged the woman caught in adultery before him. I look at those two stories side by side and they're, to me they seem like a really amazing links between you've got in one story you know the men dragging the woman to Jesus whereas Jesus has actually gone to the woman at the well and then the men there leave by one by one when Jesus writes on the ground but in the woman at the well story all the men come running I just find there's just so many links between the two stories just wanted to know what your guest thought about that Cindy what are your thoughts oh hi Mary um I you know I've, I've never really um thought of that and that's such a great insight I I love it I've never really um, pulled the two together, uh, and I really like that that insight. And it's it's great, isn't it? That he sort of reversed the the, the turned the tables a little bit with having her go back to the village and and the men coming when she says, "Come and see this man," and and they come, and it's it's so exciting. And not only that, but then the men actually do invite Jesus back to the town and. He stays and teaches them for two days, and so many of them believe after that. So uh, it really is a turning the tables on that on the other the other story of the woman caught in adultery, and I, I love it. Um, this this particular one, uh, I think sometimes some people think that perhaps because she had five husbands, that was you know that made her adulterous. But of course, it, it that bit didn't. I think. The bit that that really links with the adultery is that when he says, "And the man you are now with is not your husband." Um, so yes, it's very a big question mark over who who were all those husbands and who was the man that she was now with that wasn't her husband. <laughs> mm. Any any more thoughts on that, Mary? Uh, no, I just found the link between the two of them just really interesting. That was all. Well, thank you so much for your call. God bless. Okay, thank you. Bye. And if you'd like to call through, phone lines are open, 1-800-316-316. And we've got Marie from Hobart and Tassie. How are you? What a fabulous um, link that Mary just made, hey? Absolutely. Yes. But, look, my, my thinking is, um, you know, our culture, we, we think we're so progressive, don't we? You know, that we've, we've initiated equality for women and, and how, you know, they can be leaders in society and in the church, et cetera, et cetera. And he, 2,000 years ago, Jesus made that happen. Mm. He made that happen. He said we were all equal. And then, mm. you know, the woman at the well and the adulterous woman, you know, fantastic, hey? Cindy, what are your thoughts? Yes, um, def- definitely Jesus was, yes, he was very good at um, giving women all the honour and, um, you know, respect that they were due. And, uh, yeah, I, I really love that. I think... Um, What's, what I found interesting researching the book, though, is that different uh, cultures, so there was the Roman culture happening there at the same time, and uh, so I've actually made this character in the book that she's a Roman citizen as well as being a Samaritan, and you could become a Roman citizen if your parent, your father had been, in her case, in the you know fighting for the Roman army, uh, or there were lots of ways to become a Roman citizen, and I deliberately did that so that I could look at uh, her, use her to sort of show what was it like as a Roman woman, like as in a Roman citizen, because you had different marriage and different laws that applied to you. Like a Roman woman was able to divorce and, uh, 
there were slightly different laws. So she's a Samaritan, but she has that. And so it's quite a complex book in that we look at all different options for women as far as marriage and divorce and different types of marriage and um, just how you, you know, who, how much power or not, not power you had depending on um, what culture and what laws you were under. Yes, Cindy, in your book, I love that each husband tells a story and reveals something of Leah's character and her strength and her courage and faith. Can you speak to that, what each husband um, represents? Well, you know, to tell the truth, I didn't actually think about um, consciously about that each husband might represent something else. Uh, And the first time this came came to my mind was, when my friend reviewed the book for me and uh, she wrote me this big uh, list saying husband number one represents this and yes. number two. And I was going, wow, really? <laughs> I actually hadn't oh, thought so about you, it Oh, so that wasn't something that came out of no. you because when I've read, the, as I've been reading the book too, it's like almost the husband um, helps helps in some way to build her character um, uh you're not diminishing her as a woman, but do you know what I mean? It's like uh, as as um, they reveal something of her as as she's married to each one, something of her heart, something of her courage and faith. So, yeah, that was um, not something you planned. No, but I think that is the beauty of art and of, of writing a novel or often with poetry um, or even painting with with art, artistic things often what the, pers- the, cre- the creator, the person who wrote the book in this case, I may not have intended things, but um, particularly with um, something that you've prayed about, the Lord will use it and yes. touch people's hearts in a different way and people will see and get different things out of it. Um, just like when you read the Bible, we can both read the same verse and um, you know the Holy Spirit will say different things to us about, about that and touch where we're at. So I'm so excited when when I hear that because it means that, you know, it's nothing to do with me. It's just mm. I wrote that book, but mm. um, the Lord will use it and hopefully to bless lots of people in many different ways that I never intended. That's so true. He does weave something of beauty through all these stories. And there is um, the the weaving of your of of the um, garment in this in this story, um, the co- yes. the cloth. Can you speak into that the the beautiful cloth? Oh well, I just really wanted to make the whole book quite colourful, if I could. Just and so I started doing this thing with colour and the cloth, and then I've just found it so fascinating that the dyes that they used back then were you know plant dyes and and how, where did they go and get these dyes and um, and then a lot of those dyes they used uh, were in the Old Testament it's sort of the dye that you have to use for God saying you must use this dye for the priests mm. ephod and uh, and it's a dye so there's a scarlet dye but the you get that from a a worm and the worm has to be killed I found that really interesting this parallel that you know, the worm has to be killed to make the red dye for the pre-seafold. And then they had a blue-purple, which I put in the book, which came from a murex shell, which is a, a shellfish that you find in the Mediterranean. And so that shellfish had to be um, extracted and crushed. Again, it had to be killed to get 
that beautiful, amazing purple that uh, that I use in the book, and that we know very well because purple was the sign of being really rich. And the mm-hmm. reason you had to be rich to wear purple was they had to kill so many shellfish, and it was such a um, you know time-consuming, labour-intensive job. So researching all that about the dyes just found really fascinating. Mm, wonderful. And uh, Marie from Hobart, thank you so much for your call today. Congratulations for writing that book, Cindy. Um, it's very, very timely, I would think. Can we get a hard copy of it, though, not just a, a, a download? Um, uh, you know, Yes. You can get that. Well, it's a soft cover book, but the actual, yes, in your hand, real book to hold on to, you can get that through Karong Bookshops or order on Booktopia online or Book Depository. Uh, they'll all um, be able to post you a copy of the book. Yes, it's Psalm 31, I think, isn't it? The, the woman who was a businesswoman and... Yes. Yes, and you were describing all of that about the um, the colours and the... Uh, yeah, that was amazing. So, well done. Thank you so much. Good. Thanks for your call. God bless. If you'd like to join the conversation, now's the time to call. 1-800-316-316. And we've got Anne from Brisbane. How are you, Anne? Yes, I'm here, yep. You got a question or a comment? I've got a comment to make. I'm really looking forward to reading the book. And the comment I want to make is when God wants to do, when God needs somebody to do a really hard job, he's chosen a woman. He chose Deborah. He chose Esther. He chose Mary. And how on earth was he going to reach all these Samaritans that his uh, people were so against? He used a woman. What are your thoughts on that, Cindy? Uh, oh, yes. he's. Um, it's, it's lovely. It's lovely to see that women are valued right through the Bible. And um, they're not valued more than men. They're valued equally. And, um, and I think often, you know, we're used in different ways. As you're saying, there's some jobs that uh, where a woman can just, we have access to, to certain things that the men don't and in this and in this situation, um, maybe they wouldn't have listened to a man, they, but they listened to her. I think the key, because the most interesting thing to me was that uh, it wasn't so much the fact that she had five husbands, but the fact that Jesus knew everything about her. And that was the thing she ran back to town about, saying, come and see this man who know, knew everything I ever did. Um that must have really spoken to those blokes in the town for them to have, you know, sort of made the effort to walk a couple of kilometres out to um, see, you know, could this be the Messiah? And just on that, I find that I found that quite interesting that he, that that's what prompted them. Yeah, I also think that, uh, you know, we we often look at the woman and think that she was a woman of ill repute. But, I mean, why did she have so many husbands? It may have been that, like someone mentioned earlier, they may have died, or she might have just been exploited. Who knows? Exactly, and that's what I explored in my book. I thought it is quite possible to have five husbands and not be uh, an adulterous woman. And so it doesn't mean to say she's perfect, but... uh, you know, there are people who've had who've had five husbands, and it's usually horrible because most likely some have had to die, and some have, maybe there's a divorce, and there's all sorts of scenarios. And 
So that's what I went through. I, I looked at all the uh, possibilities um, based on my imagination, but also on what was possible within that culture uh, as well. And so there's all these different scenarios of you know, husband one, husband two, husband three. Who could she have married, and how could she have? How would he have? How would she have got rid of that one to get on to the next one? And so it gave me quite a good structure for my book because I had to be also, killing off or getting rid of each husband to get to hmm. the next one. <laughs> and also, nowhere in the Bible, in the Old Testament, anyway, does it ever show a reprimand of the men who take multiple husbands. From Jacob to David and, and Solomon and the rest of the kings, mm. there is not one reprimand in the Bible of a man taking more than one wife. And yet we get to mm. the New Testament and they bring the woman to Jesus, you know, wanting to stone her for adultery. Hey, she can't mm. be an adulteress without men. Yes, it's it's so true. And, you know, there is this possibility uh, that in some of the commentaries that uh, let's say she had each each of the five husbands died or was quite legitimate marriages. And then she gets to that sixth one where he says, the man you are now with is not your husband. There was actually, a, a, there could have been, even that may have not been adulterous. Um, I've written it as, it as if it was, but the um, it may not have been because there was a law that if you were a Roman and you, you were not able to marry, someone who wasn't Roman. And so if you were, had fallen in love with someone, let's say a Samaritan, but you were Roman and, and the woman wasn't, then you would live together and it would be officially known as a marriage and, and not looked down on at all, but you could not be legally married. So I, I actually didn't go down that track with my book, but, but there was that possibility as well. So it's a big question mark over who were those five husbands and who was the man that she was currently with it's it's quite an interesting story very very i'm looking mm. forward to reading your book yes <laughs> thank you okay. thank you so much bye and if you'd like to call through phone lines are open 1-800-316-316 we've got six minutes until focus on the family so we can maybe squeeze one or two more calls in call now on 1-800-316-316 and we did get an interesting comment on facebook before cindy from trevor uh, he was uh, just relating to some comments there, uh, very similar to what Anne just said. Uh, he was saying, I've heard that the Samaritan woman was not necessarily a woman of ill repute. She could have lost her husband through death or been divorced because she could not have children. And he said, Jesus did not condemn her for her lifestyle. I think she's been maligned by Western thought. What are your thoughts on that? Uh, I tend to agree with him, uh, with Trevor, and um, and it's partly why I wrote the book because um, I think that it's so important when you read Bible to Bible stories or accounts from the Bible to read them without um, making jumping to assump- to too many assumptions or relying too much on you know what people have had have assumed, and if you just read the story straight as it is. Uh, you, you, it makes you absolutely think what Trevor's thinking, that she doesn't necess- didn't necessarily have to be this um, wanton woman at all. And, uh, and that is partly why I wrote the book, just to present uh, a, a really well-researched but different 
perspective on who she might have been and and who were those five husbands, which no one will ever know. And but it's just a perspective that just to get people thinking about about that issue and really rereading that story carefully as it's written in the Bible without uh, without sort of all the extra things that we've often been taught about about it. It's, yeah. It might, yeah. It's, it's, it's to me, it was fascinating because I myself had had one impression of who she was, but by doing that research and really just going with the Bible and uh, and nothing else to start with, I I thought mm, actually there's plenty of other options here. <laughs> Well, we're almost out of time, Cindy, and I just really wanted to say thank you so much on uh, you know giving us your time today. And uh, I know that there'll be lots of listeners keen to get their hands on this book. Uh, once again, they can go to the website, cindywilliamsauthor.com, and we've also put a link to the book at our Facebook page. You can go to facebook.com forward slash vision radio. It's called The Silk Merchant of Sycar. I pronounced it Sikar before, but you know, tomato, tomato, Sikar, Sikar, whatever. Uh, either way, it's a good, it's it's a good read. My wife's into it. She's good, done a few chapters and she's loving it. Uh, and it's available on hard copy at uh, Kurong or as an ebook uh, through Amazon and Booktopia. Any other places they can get their hands on it? Uh, Booktopia, Book Depository, and Kurong. Those are all the best places to get a hard copy of it. Wonderful. Well, it's been so good to uh, have you as our guest on 2020 today, and you've made history today. This is my first ever 2020 co-hosted segment with my wife. Uh, we thought we'd bring her in, you know, so she could, you know, she join in the conversation. Do you think she did all right, Cindy? Oh, it was lovely to chat to you, Carol, and um, hopefully I'll meet you face-to-face one day. It was great. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much, Cindy, and thank you for your beautiful book, which is really, um, like I said before, very intimate and very poetic. And, um, yeah, I look forward to your next book. Oh, thank you. I'll, um, I'll, I'll get writing. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, for, th- thanks for your time. God bless. Thanks, Matt. Bye. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.